So uh, I had a great, great message for you. And um, yesterday during the elders and deacons' time, I just sensed God uh, say, no, no, don't, don't preach that. Uh, I'm, I'm wanting to do something else. Thanks, Matt. Did I break it? Well, I promise you I won't lean on it. I've got one of these big pulpits that I lean on. And uh, so there we go. No, no, I'm fine. I just won't lean on it. Okay. Um, and uh, so I'm going to preach out of Acts 3. I know that you've been going through uh, the book of Acts, uh, really looking at how God mobilizes a people uh, in, in power and, and proclamation. And I wasn't going to do that, but um, this message may be a little less polished, but I think it may be more applicable to you. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. Uh, it's the story of Peter and John healing the lame man at the Gate Beautiful. And uh, this story is etched on the soul and mind of many Christians who have grown up singing that song in Sunday school, right? It's a cold day. Uh, worship was fantastic, but... Uh, we're just going to exercise our uh, bodies and our voices one more time. Uh, if you can remember that song, I'm going to sing it uh, because it's a great encapsulation before I read, and, and you can just clap with me. You, know, you, remember, you remember it with, with the clap, you know? So it's, it's, uh, you can join me. Peter and John went to pray. Oh, no, you've got to do the clap. You guys, don't, don't, don't resist your happy, clappy roots, okay? So it's, it's a double clap. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for arms as he held out his palms. It's not palms, palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Excellent, excellent. And then he... He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Yeah, give, give yourselves a hand. Here we go. Acts 3. Now Peter and John were getting up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's about 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Alms is just giving to the poor. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, 
all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What a stunning account. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And so you have been looking at what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And you've been looking at the boldness and, and the gifts and the proclamation and salvation and this transformed community, the mobilization of a people of proclamation and, and power. Uh, Terry Virgo, when talking about the people of God described in Acts, says that they were people who were stable in doctrine, but mobile in practice. Stable in doctrine, and we can see this as Peter preached. He had such a profound grasp of the gospel. You killed the author of life. What a contrast. You kill the author of life. The, the absolute scandal of killing the author of life. And you killed him in the place of Barabbas, a murderer. The outrageous exchange of the author of life, perfect, in exchange for a murderer. And that is the gospel. That we, who were covered with sin, were actually saved because the author of life was killed in our place. Jesus died the death that we should have died. And gave us life in place of his death. This is, this is a beautiful, beautiful explanation of the gospel. But Peter and the early church were not only stable in theology and doctrine. They were mobile in practice. And this passage is a mobilizing passage. It's actually profoundly practical. It's deep and profound. But I don't just want to, to, to get into the profound theological implications, I, I really want us to get back to simple, practical Sunday school lessons that this is a picture of a mobilized people. Peter and John were on the way to pray. They were on the way to a prayer meeting. And on the way, they met this man. And they took a risk. They were on the way to their own prayer meeting. These were leaders of a mega church in Jerusalem, 120, then in Acts 2, the Spirit outpoured, 3,000 added to the 120, and it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Every, there was a rhythm of prayer every afternoon at 3 p.m. in Solomon's portico. If they were devoted to prayer, it was, it was probably the majority 
of those 3,120. They were on the way to their own prayer meeting to lead it, and they never got there. So it was a mobilized people, not just in meetings, but, but on mission. John Stott says this about the book of Acts. He says, Acts is one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so far and so fast as the people of God shall instate the blessed Holy Spirit in the seat of control. <laughs> God wants to write other chapters, not in the inspired word of God's sense, but actually He wants to continue the story of His of, of the people of God mobilized as they give the Holy Spirit the seat of control. And so we're going to look at what it means to be a people of healing on the way. People of healing on the way. I love the fact that this was not just a people of proclamation, but actually of power. And uh, I, I am really trusting that this weekend you would be stirred and, and left with a greater expectation that God wants to give you fresh stories of people being healed very simply and coming to faith because of that. Healing is really the dinner bell that brings people to the true feast of the gospel. Uh, the greatest miracle is not physical healing. Even if you get physically healed, you will die one day. Uh, but healing is a sign a dinner bell that leads people to the true feast of the gospel. This man was saved. He went walking and leave, leaping and praising God. His limbs were not just restored. His relationship with God was restored as Peter preached the gospel. But, but healing, a demonstration of the Spirit's power, is important. I have some questions about healing. Do you? I've got some real questions. How come it doesn't work all the time? Uh, how come sometimes it works for a time and then the person gets sick again? Uh, how come in, in, in one room you might pray for three people for the same thing and one get, gets healed and the other two don't? Uh, it, it's, it's a mystery. I'm not offering you a, a recipe here. It, it, it's, it's a mystery. And yet it's a mystery that the Lord calls us into. Uh, about two or three years ago, we were gathered in a meeting and someone got up and said, I just have faith for. We, we encourage our people to, to, to say this, I have faith for. Uh, it's, it's a little bit less definite than the Lord is going to heal these people. I, I, I have faith for people that struggle with insomnia. Can't sleep. And I was like immediately, I know three people that struggle. Two of our elders and my wife. For years. And so they all three respond. And my wife gets radically healed on the spot. I am... I have a front row seat to that. It's, it's an amazing thing that uh, she would, used to lie awake for hours and hours and hours. Now she falls asleep before me, which is inconvenient at times. But uh, it's, uh, it's uh, just a wonderful thing. I've watched God just heal her, and the other two elders didn't get healed. And you go, this is, this is mysterious. But thank God that he healed my wife. This is not a recipe. There, there's, there's some model here, but it's not, not a recipe but we are called to enter into the mystery. So what do we, what do we see here? What do we see here? Uh, firstly, we see on the surface level in this passage that, that the church planned to pray together. They had a plan to, to pray together, um, and that they took others along with them to pray on the surface level. Um, 
And I see in your little bulletin, I see that you've got a fast and prayer coming up together. Bring one another along to your gathered prayer times. God does amazing, amazing things when the church gathers to pray and particularly fast. Spurgeon said, the condition of a church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of its absence will be slothfulness in prayer. Prayer meetings are a graceometer. We often say that it's the, it's the engine room, it's the, it's the pulse of a church. How many people come to, to a prayer meeting? Prioritize prayer. The early church prioritized prayer. But on the way to prayer, they were interruptible. And this is the first big thing that we see here is that Peter noticed this man. He noticed this man. Peter directed his gaze and said, look at us. Now, it was very normal for the poor to sit at the gate of the temple. That was a, a normal rhythm. They would have passed these people every day. But there was something different about that day, that, that Peter was arrested. He, he was stopped in his tracks, even though he was going to lead that prayer meeting. He, he never got to his own prayer meeting. And some would say that this was kind of a fulfillment of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, where the priest passed by the other side, and he said, no, 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 you mustn't do that. And, and now Peter, a leader in the church, he didn't pass by the other side. Peter and John stopped, and they didn't have a text message, cell phone, operation, someone else host the prayer meeting. I don't know what happened to the prayer meeting that day, but they stopped. They were, they were interruptible. They had compassion. Just like Jesus, they left the 3,000 for the one. I want to encourage you to prioritize prayer meetings. But if on your way to your prayer and fasting, you stop to pray for a lame man or woman, you're excused. You're excused. <laughs> be, be interruptible. There is such a thing as unholy distraction. You know that when you get up to pray in the morning uh, or when there's a gathered prayer meeting, man, Excuse the, the term, but all hell breaks loose in terms of distraction. All sorts of things, because the enemy does not want us to pray. But this is not unholy distraction. This is holy interruption. Are you interruptible? I mean, I know this is patently practical here. For, forgive me. But sometimes we have these big profound principles of prayer, but we keep them locked up in prayer meetings. And God is just saying, no, 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 so much of what I'm doing is outside of prayer meetings, on your way to them or on your way from them, from the gatherings of the church, are you interruptible? We don't just take notice of people. T taking notice of people is important. Eye contact is important. But what about human touch? What about stopping and locking eyes? Look at me. And he, and he set his gaze on him. That's more costly in many ways than money. Uh, giving money in many ways, it's like, it's an excuse to hurry on. Peter and John stopped. Look at us. And they gazed. And there was a complexity in their interaction in the sense that he looked, it says, his attention on them, 
expecting to receive something from them. In other words, Peter and John had to disappoint him before they healed him. That's hard, isn't it? When you find people who are in need and uh, you actually can't give them initially what you ask them, we tend to hurry on. But they didn't. They entered into the complexity of that. We don't just notice people, but actually we have a sense of being interruptible by the Holy Spirit. We're like Jesus. He said, I do not do anything I don't see the Father doing. In other words, we, 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 we're paying attention to say, Lord, who do you seem to be highlighting? Because there were many people begging. But, but it seemed like this man was the one that the Lord was highlighting. This is not an exact science, but this is a beautiful adventure into which to enter. Where the Lord in His sovereign mystery will highlight a person. We, we, we found that at the pool of Siloam, where, where Jesus healed one among many. And, you know, Paul in Ephesians 2 says, You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He has prepared in advance for you to walk in. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord has good works in advance for you to walk in? We've tried to train ourselves and our people to be interruptible both in gatherings and outside of, of gatherings. We had uh, about two years ago, and, and I am going to pepper with stories because this is just a practical message. Bear with me. Is that all right? This in some ways feels more like a training than a, than a Sunday preach, but I believe God's going to do something. He is doing something already. And uh, we baptized uh, a young man, a student from USC, and he brought his parents and his parents were not from a church background that was similar to us. And um, they were quite sort of astounded at the, uh, at, at the worship. They had a mix of love and discomfort, etc. But they couldn't deny their, their son's transformed life. And uh, they were intrigued enough to come back the next week. And uh, they felt very uncomfortable, but they were like, oh, push me, pull you. And um, during the sort of the coffee break between worship and the message, very similar to what you have, um, one of our deacons walked across to his mom and just introduced herself and said, my name is Adele. Uh, what is your name? She said, I, I'm Antoinette. It's only my second time here. And Adele said, um, this might seem like a strange question, but uh, do you suffer from migraines? And she said, oh, every hour. And she said, that's interesting, because as I looked at you, I, I just had a sense that you struggled with migraines. I've never met you before. And I started to feel heat in my hands. And that's normally a sense that God wants to heal. So would you mind if I prayed for you? And Ant Antoinette, who comes from a Catholic background, uh, felt uncomfortable with that, but just said, uh, yes, yeah, I, I, that's fine. And before I got up to preach, and I'm sure the sermon was brilliant that day, <laughs> but before I got up to preach, uh, she, she laid hands on her and, uh, and prayed for her, and God healed her completely. And uh, they've never stopped coming to church. They are still there two years later, and uh, walking with Jesus is a wonderful thing. But um, Adele was interruptible. She was interruptible. Are we interruptible? Secondly, uh, Peter was secure. I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. 
what I have, I, I give to you. Peter lacked resources. Uh, Peter and John were dead broke, flat broke. Uh, but he knew he had what the man really needed. And so he disappointed him on one, on one level. Uh, but he said, what, what I have, I, I give to you. Friends, we, we must keep helping the poor practically. Uh, James says that. Don't just pass by and say, the Lord bless you. Uh, there, there is a call. Faith without works is, is dead. But you know, we have something that all the government agencies in the world do not have. We have something that all the donor funders do not have. And Peter and John knew that their first response was to pray. What is your first response when someone is sick, ill? Our first response generally, because we have resources, is to say, well, let me take you to the doctor. Well, let me give you some medicine. And, and we thank God for the common grace of medicine, don't we? We thank God for it. Uh, we are not those people that are just like, oh, that's terrible stuff. But what is our first response? And very often when you go to poorer cities and countries, there is more healing because there's more desperation because there are less resources. And I would just ask where, where most of us have some sort of access, almost all of us, to medical help, that we would live as, that we, as, as if we didn't, as, as if that was the second option. It's a good and happy discipline. What did they have? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. They had the power of the Spirit. Not just the indwelling Spirit, they understood that the Spirit had anointed them like the Spirit anointed Jesus. There was an empowering of the Spirit. F.B. Mayer says about them and what they had, the Spirit may be in us, regenerating and renewing from within, as Jesus was born from Mary through the Spirit. But it is necessary that the Spirit should be on us also. Every believer has the Spirit in them. But actually, we need to, to learn to walk with the Spirit on us. As He descended and remained on Jesus in His baptism, if we are to fulfill our ministry to mankind, no learning, no polished speech, no amount of evangelistic teaching short of the Holy Spirit can avail for the preaching of the gospel to the poor and the healing of the brokenhearted, the deliverance of the captive, and the recovery of sight to the blind. We must learn to say like Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He has anointed me. What do we have, friends? What do you and I have? We have the Spirit on us. We have the hope of the Gospel. We have the name of Jesus. We have time. We have our eyes and we have our touch. We have compassion. No money can buy these things. We have these things. This is so patently simple what I'm saying, I, I almost want to apologize. But the problem is we, we don't believe the simplicity of the power of God. And it's not always for the people who have profound theological understanding, even though Peter did have that. But actually, the testimony of Peter and, and John was these 
were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. I believe in schooling. I recently finished a nine-year theological master's. I believe in that. But I tell you what, that is no replacement for bold, risky faith. The ability to be interruptible and to lock eyes. In our church, the people that are most mobilized in this way are not generally the learned people. They're just the people that are childlike enough to trust God at His Word. Oh Lord, make us like that. But why do we struggle with, with healing? Let me just spend a few minutes of that. I, I think we struggle because we, we, we're not as sure as Peter and John. Right? They had a, a gift of certainty. and We're not sure that Jesus will heal 100% of the time. We don't want to disappoint people. I mean, look at what these guys did. They literally yanked him up on his feet. That could be a social train wreck <laughs> in our day and age. It, it could be. It could really damage someone. So we look and we just say, yes, I want it, but no. And, and also we've seen the excesses of that. We've seen the men in the white suits with their coats and their jet planes. And we just want, I, I don't want that. I, maybe you're not like that, but I'm like that. I'm just like, I feel conflicted. But, but you know, a little bit of awkwardness, embracing a little bit of awkwardness. Because in California, we hate awkwardness. I think we hate awkwardness more than powerlessness. And we know that actually engaging people and offering to pray for them is potentially awkward. There four In the church, there are four big views of healing. I don't have all that much time to go, go through them, but let me quickly just say, one, there's the healing. Christians who love Jesus believe, no, it's never. It's only through natural cures. And, and, and I would just say, well, well, what do you do with this passage? This wasn't Jesus. This was the disciples of Jesus. What, what do you do with this passage? You've got to do theological flick-flacks to explain this away. Second is, it's occasional, but not expected. I often hear people say this, well, I'm cautiously open to healing, and God can if He wants to. I don't see that in this passage. I don't see uh, God can if He wants to. I see these men with very engaged faith. And so that would challenge this. It's occasional, but, but not expected. The third view is always, healing always happens if you have enough faith. You, you've been around that view? It's a toxic view. Because it leaves people feeling guilty. And, and I just want to say, man, what, what do you do with the Apostle Paul and Timothy? Paul, who, who, who wrote at the end of his ministry, my eyesight is failing. This was a man who saw people raised from the dead as he prayed from them. But he, he apparently didn't have his eyesight at the end of his life. Did Paul just not have enough faith? Paul who said to Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your stomach. Well, Paul, if, if healing's just automatic always, why don't you just go lay hands? Well, natural cures are also okay. Friends, we, we can't kiss our brains goodbye with this thing. We, we've, we've, we've got to hold intention that the kingdom has is, is come, but it's still coming. And we live between the now and the not yet. And so healing is not always if you have enough faith. The fourth view, which I believe is the most biblical view, is that it's normal, but not auto automatic. It's normal. It's, 
it's, it's a normal reality in the Christian life. And we have to get secure. Peter was secure, and John was secure. They, they were secure enough to have their reputation on the line. They were secure enough to actually disappoint the man. They were secure enough to say, man, we believe this is going to happen, so much so that we, 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 we're lifting you up. We've got to get secure. You know, not every person gets saved when we preach the gospel, right? But we carry on preaching the gospel. So why is it that when it comes to laying hands on people, we say, well, unless it's 100%, I'm not going to do it. The kingdom is, is coming, but it requires people who are, who are risky and faith-filled. Please do not allow a high view of the sovereignty of God to rob you of faith. We must trust the sovereignty of God. God is God and we are not. And for some reason, sometimes He, he doesn't heal and He's going to teach us to trust Him. And He's going to refine us as we walk through sickness and even walk through death. Because God is God. But a mark of His kingdom is physical healing. Peter was secure. Thirdly, uh, Peter knew the source. And with these points, I, I say Peter knew the source. Peter was secure. This is a call to us. Be secure. <laughs> know your source. Know your source. Why do you stare at us as though... Through our own power or piety. Piety is holiness. Why do you think that it's because we were innately powerful or holy this happened? Peter knew that he was not the source of this healing. It was by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. Isn't that beautiful? Peter and John could have started their healing ministry right then. You know, DVDs, books, conference circuit... They were just so humble. And the conundrum is, they actually asked the lame man, look at us. Look at us. And he fixed his gaze on them. And then when it actually happens, they say to the crowd, why do you look at us? <laughs> Beautiful confidence in one moment, humility in another. I think I'm exactly the opposite. You know, if... If I'm going to heal, it's like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do it. You know, let's just look at Jesus. You know, we'll see. And then if it happens, it's like, you know what I did? Look at me. <laughs> they were exactly the opposite. In the moment, it's like, look at us. We've got something to give you. And when it happens, just look at Jesus. That's beautiful. I, I think that God entrusts those sorts of people with healing because he, he can trust his name to them. He, he can trust his power to them. They're not going to take the glory for themselves. They're going to put their own reputations at risk. But when Jesus actually breaks in, they say, it's him. It's him. Just the dinner bell. Let's, 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 let's trust people get saved here. He knew the source. The author of life. And what's fascinating here is that when he talks about the name of Jesus... He doesn't talk about it in terms of like some magic spell that you, that you chant, you know? Sometimes when you see people or hear people praying for healing, they, 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 they chant. It's like, in the name of Jesus, ah! as, as, as though like God's going to hear that, like God's deaf, you know? So you must say it in a certain way. And No, 
the description of these men that they were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. In other words, Peter and John knew the man behind the name. They walked with him. They walked with him. There is no replacement for, for intimacy with, with Jesus, knowing the source. And friends, in terms of prayer, whether it's for healing or, or, or anything else, we must settle that God hears us not because of our own righteousness or experience or maturity. God hears our prayers because of Jesus. Jesus said in John 11, Father, I know that you always hear me. If you are a Christian, your life is hid with Christ in God. And therefore, when you pray in Jesus' name, God hears you because of His Son. And I think very often we're praying a little bit more in our name than in Jesus' name. Well, well Lord, you know, I've been, been walking with you for quite a while. I haven't sinned too much this week, so I think you'll hear me. I, I, I paid my tithe. I, I hope you'll hear me more. The idea that like the volume of our prayers goes up and down based on our righteousness. What did the hymn writer say? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy rest on Jesus' name. We do not trust in our prayers the frame of our righteousness, the frame of our experience, the frame of our longevity with Jesus. Those are sweet frames, but they cannot hold us up. The only frame that can hold us up is the name of Jesus. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, imagine Jesus praying that prayer and knowing that the Father hears Jesus. Healing is not a recipe. It's a relationship. I heard of a story of D.A. Torrey, that, that evangelist who was in Australia. And just before he got up to the platform, a man handed him a little card. And on the card, he said this. He said, I've been a consistent church member for 30 years. And a Sunday school superintendent for 25 and an elder for 20. Why will God not answer my prayers? And Tory laid down his message and just answered this man. In the spur of the moment. And he said this. This man thinks that because he has been a consistent church member, a Sunday school superintendent and an elder for 20, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He is really praying in his name. We must give up any thought that we have any claims upon God. But Jesus Christ has great claims on God. And we should go to God in our prayer, not on the basis of any goodness in ourselves, but on the grounds of Jesus' claims. We do not pray in our own name. We pray in Jesus' name. Our friends, can God restore His people's confidence in His great name? In His perfect name, we sang about that name, the name that is above every name. Finally, Peter understood faith. I want to land here, but I, this is where, for me, faith becomes an adventure. Once you listen here, it says, it is by Jesus' name, by faith in Jesus' name, 
and the faith that comes from Jesus that this man was healed. In other words, healing is by Jesus, by faith in Jesus, and by faith from Jesus. This is where it gets interesting. We know Jesus heals. We know we're praying in His name. But there's a faith that actually comes from Him through us. Knowing that we don't ultimately have faith in our faith, but, but faith is a thing. There was a moment, seemingly, that Peter felt like a surge of confidence. Now, now, now faith is an interesting thing because, you know, just like in, in Iceland, there, there are six different words for, for ice because there's so much ice. And in Ireland, there are 10 different words for green because there's so much green. In the kingdom, there are different words for faith because faith is the currency of the kingdom. And so the one faith that we see in this passage is the, is the word fide, which means to believe in the fidelity of God. In other words, you are trustworthy. I trust in your name. But this word faith is different. It's the word pistis, which means a feeling of confidence. So we have kind of a settled, God is faithful. I trust in his name. But here he's talking about a different kind of faith. It's kind of a Ooh, I suddenly got a feeling of confidence. Now, we can take that too far, but it's a thing. That when I meet a person, when I'm in a meeting, I will get a particular surge of confidence for a particular thing. Now, that's not fail-safe. I've seen God heal people when I have no pistis, no surge of confidence. And I'm just saying, well, Lord, I don't feel anything, but I'm just trusting that you are, I'm, I'm trusting in, in, in your fidelity. But there are other moments where I have a particular surge of faith. For something. And we've got to learn to, to walk with that, to, to work with that. I surf this one break in Southern California, and I've, I've learned to trust that wave. It's just a wave I've surfed for almost 10 years. But actually, there is a moment as the wave is about to break that I've, I've got to like kind of go, man, no, 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 I feel confident right now. I, I've, I've got a history with this wave, but right now I'm stepping over. Healing faith is a little bit like that. It's not just like, well, I trust generally in the faithfulness of Jesus' name. No, no, right now I'm going with the surge of faith. I wish I had more time to give stories. But as our people have learned that God is with them, not just in gatherings, but as they leave gatherings, on the way from them and on the way to them, in coffee shops, in pubs, in country clubs, in office parks, etc., that, that God has good works in advance for you, Capital City. May there be a mobilization of the people of God, not with a recipe of faith, but with faith in the fidelity of our great God and an increasing willingness to risk as we feel a surge of confidence. Amen? Run out of time. Lord, we come to you. And Lord, this has been more of a training than a Sunday sermon, but I am trusting that these people hungry to see you move in power, not just for the proclamation of the gospel, but a demonstration of power, would take these simple principles, not turn them into a recipe, but Lord, trust you enough to put their reputations at stake that your name might be glorified. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.